Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on cornerstone connection with pastor gary hamrick and it's the basis for his question then so lord because you exist and because you're holy who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill. Seeing as how you are righteous and perfect and pure and holy in all your ways, and we are not, how is it possible that we can have access to you? Who is acceptable in the eyes of God? How can we approach you if we are sinful and you are holy? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Our God's holiness is so substantial that we cannot even partially grasp the magnitude of it. Pastor Gary tells us today that this being the case, David could not help but wonder how any of us could possibly be allowed into the Lord's kingdom. He knew that because of our sinful nature, we were inherently unworthy and deserved death. Lucky for us though, we now know that we can gain access to the kingdom of God through the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ. Though we do not deserve it, the Lord sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 9 for today's message titled, Showing Reverence for God. We're here in the book of Psalms. We're at chapter 15. And uh, again, the book of Psalms is the worship hymnal for the Hebrew people. Uh, There are 150 psalms. These are 150 songs. These were originally put to music and sung in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They are still sung today by Jews, although we don't know the original melodies to these psalms. All 150 were originally songs. We've been taking a section of the book of Psalms at a time, and sometimes we're, we're going to look at a topic from that section. Sometimes we will look at a particular chapter from that section. And so last week we looked at chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking here at chapter 15. It is, if you'll notice in your Bibles, subtitled, A Psalm of David. So he is the writer, as he was for 73 of the 150 Psalms. So this is one that he wrote as well. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, 
who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Well, Psalm 15 here begins with two questions. They are similar. They're looking to get to the, uh, the same answer. But the two questions here in verse 1, uh, David asks, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Followed up by, who may live on your holy hill? Now, roughly translated, what he's saying is, with what kind of people, God, do you enjoy keeping company? And who will you allow to grace your presence. Now, these two questions assumes that we already understand something. Remember, David's walk in his relationship with God is such that he, he doesn't question some things, so he just starts out by saying, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live in your, uh, on your holy hill? But there is something that needs to be understood even from the beginning of this 15th Psalm, and that is, first of all, that God exists. I mean, he, he assumes we already know that because he's ascribing this unto the Lord. He's asking questions of God, but he wants to make sure that we also get that, in fact, God exists. Now, this may not be something that most of you stumble with, but you might be disheartened to know that in the course of the last uh, nine years in the United States of America, those who identify themselves as atheists and agnostics have doubled in the last nine years. From a recent survey in 2007 until a survey in just this year, those who identify themselves as agnostic or atheist now are 7.1% of the American population. Still not a huge number, but nevertheless still a sad number. And that is almost double what it was in 2007. It was only 4% in 2007. People identified themselves as atheist or agnostic. And David even has a psalm about the atheist, uh, actually in the previous psalm, look back at chapter 14 of Psalms, uh, where he starts off in verse 1 of chapter 14 by saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, You know, again, these are all songs. I I don't know what the tune of that song was there in Psalm 14, you know, I mean, you know, but anyway, it's a song about the atheist who who says in his heart, "There, there is no God. Why is it foolish for someone to say that there is no God. I'll give you three reasons. Number one, because they deny the revelation of God in creation. To say that there is no God says that everything, including the spectacular and the incredible and the magnificent complexities of our universe, all happen by chance without a divine designer behind it. So one who says there is no God has denied the revelation of God in creation. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God has made himself visible in creation so that men are without excuse. Number two, it is foolish to be an atheist because you also deny a moral absolute. You deny a standard of right and wrong. If you don't believe that there is God, then what do you determine? And how do you determine what is right and what is wrong? You say, well, I just obey the laws of this land. Well, the laws of this land were established on the foundation of who God is. The Declaration of Independence declares our independence on the basis of the laws of nature and nature's God. That natural law derived itself from the, uh, the understanding that there is a sovereign and supreme God. So even if you say, well, I just obey the laws of the land, that's my moral reference point, 
you are still, in effect, acknowledging that God is the one who set the standard upon which natural law was based. And thirdly, it is foolish to say that there is no God because you deny personal accountability. If you say that there is no God, then to whom or to what are you personally accountable? Because without God, it means you've now positioned yourself on the throne. And it really is a statement of pride more than anything else. So the Bible says the one who says that there is no God is really a fool. And David, when he starts here in Psalm 15, he automatically assumes, everybody understands, right? God exists. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? The second thing that he says that, you know, he assumes we understand uh, in this psalm is that God is holy. And parenthetically, of course, we are not. Because that's also part of the question there. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill. On your holy hill. Everything about God is holy. It is the Hebrew word Kadesh. Kadesh means sacred or consecrated. Something that is perfect and pure. And everything about God is perfect and pure. Throughout scripture, the Bible refers to the holiness of God. It talks about how God's name is holy. It says that God's throne is holy. It says that God's temple is holy. It says that God's dwelling is holy. Everything that God touches, everything about God is holy, sacred, and consecrated, and perfect. And even God himself identifies himself in Isaiah 43, 15, saying, I am the Lord, your holy one. And so David notices here about God, his holiness, when he says, who may live in your holy hill. You know, it is interesting that of all the words that might define God, and we can come up with many words, that he is just, that he is true, that he is loving, the one word that is used in triplets and the only word that is used in triplets to describe the Lord is holy. It does not say loving, loving, loving is God, though he is. It doesn't say in the Bible, just, just, just is God, though he is. It doesn't say in the Bible, true, true, true is God, though he is. But twice it says in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect in all his ways. And so David, when he writes this psalm, he already assumes two things that we know. God exists and God is holy. And therefore then, there's a problem because we're not holy. And it's the basis for his question then. So Lord, because you exist and because you're holy, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Seeing as how you are righteous and perfect and pure and holy in all your ways, and we are not, how is it possible that we can have access to you? Who is acceptable in the eyes of God? How can we approach you if we are sinful and you are holy? Well, he's going to answer that in part in this psalm. But first, I want you to understand the basis behind his question. Jewish tradition says... That the reason that David wrote Psalm 15 was because of a tragic incident that occurred about seven and a half years into his reign. When David had been king for about seven and a half years, a very tragic incident occurred that prompted him to write Psalm 15. The tragic incident is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 6, I just want to highlight this story with you. You go, just hang a left and go to 2 Samuel. Uh, for those of you with the church Bibles, I'll give you the page number ahead of time. It's 227. If you don't have a church Bible, you're on your own. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and in the church Bibles, it's page 227. Now, let me, let me set up the background here while you're turning in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 6. David, when he was king, he had it in his heart to build a temple to the Lord. When David was king, there was no permanent sanctuary. There was no permanent structure for the worship of God. Up until this time, the place that the Jews worshipped the Lord was in a makeshift mobile uh, tabernacle, also called in the Bible the Tent of Meetings. It was a tent. It was a large tent that was built following specific instructions that God had given Moses. And it wasn't, you know, made out of canvas or nylon like our tents are today, but it was made out of animal hide. It was a large tent, and it was that mobile sanctuary in which the Jews would worship God. And God would move with the Jews throughout the wilderness wanderings when Moses was leading the people from Egypt uh, to the Promised Land. And this temple or this tabernacle, this tent, was a mobile sanctuary on wheels. David said, enough of the tent. The Jews have been serving the Lord under a tent for 500 years. David said, enough with the tent. I want to build a permanent temple unto the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Hebrew means the city of peace. Now, the Lord would say to David, your motives are good, but unfortunately, because your hands have shed blood as a warrior, you shall not build me a temple. Your son shall build me a temple. But your hands have shed blood as a warrior. And so your hands, because they've shed blood, shall not build me a holy temple. Your son Solomon shall build me that temple. But God did at least give David the plans, the design. And David had this heart to build it. And he gathered the offerings from the people of Israel. And he pulled everything together so that Solomon could build it later. But one of the first things that David did was he wanted to bring the most precious article that was central to the worship of Israel to Jerusalem in preparation for the building of the temple. And that article was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant in the Bible was given to the Jewish people. God gave specifications of how to build it and why to build it. This article became central to the worship of God. That God determined that he would meet the Jewish people between the cherubim. On top of this Ark of the Covenant is a lid. And on the lid were to be fashioned golden angels with their wings outstretched to each other. One angel on each side of the lid facing each other, heads down, wings outstretched. And the Bible says in several occasions that, that God would tabernacle with them that he would be enthroned between the cherubim. Now, this is basically a, a golden box, a big golden box. We haven't seen it since 586 B.C. when it was confiscated by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Well, I mean, Indiana Jones found it, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but besides that, we haven't seen it since 586 B.C. But here's, here's the way it was fashioned. God gave specific instructions to Moses to build this. It was three... And three quarters feet in length. It was two and a quarter feet in height and two and a quarter feet in breadth. It was made of acacia wood and then overlaid with gold. 
The lid itself was made of solid gold. And within the ark, this is a box that was hollow, and within the ark were found articles of Israel's history. The Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding staff, and a sample of the manna. Remember the manna that, that, that they ate to preserve their lives through the wilderness experience? Manna, a.k.a. Krispy Kreme donuts. And so, and so this was sacred. This was a sacred article. Now notice, there were rings on the side of the Ark of the Covenant through which poles were fashioned. That's important to our story here. Just keep that in mind. But this is the sacred article that David said, all right, I can't build the temple yet, but the one thing I'm going to bring to Jerusalem is the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant had been housed at a place called Kiriath-Jerim. It was at the house of Abinadab, a man who was keeping watch over it. And David said, I'm going to take a group of men down to Abinadab's house to Kiriath-Jerim, which is about eight miles west of Jerusalem. And we're going to bring up the Ark of the Covenant with celebration into Jerusalem. I may not be able to build the temple just yet, but I'm going to put a little tent there, and I'm going to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem because this is going to be a high holy hill Mount Zion, and this is where we're going to worship God, and this is what he does. But here's where this tragic incident occurs here in this story. Look with me now in your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah, which is another term for Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, Hashem, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart. Now underline it in your, in your Bibles, that's important to the story. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sisters, and cymbals. Okay, get, get this picture in your head. It's an eight-mile journey to Jerusalem, but they're all excited. They got, they got all the instruments going. The band is playing, and they're leading now this ark of the covenant on a cart to Jerusalem. And all's going well for now. Verse 6 says, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Note that, his irreverent act. And therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Okay, that kinda, that'll put a, a damper on your parade. You know, some guy dies in the middle of your parade. All the instruments like, you know, not a good day. Too soon? I'm sorry. Is it too soon? Anyway. And it says in verse 8, And then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. That's Jerusalem. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Blessed 
blessed Obed-Edom because the Ark of the Covenant was there in Obed-Edom's house. And it's not like it's a magic good luck charm, but I mean the presence of God would go with the Ark of the Covenant. And so if you kind of have the presence of God in your house, it's going to be kind of sweet in your house for a while. And it stays there for three months. Now, here's, here's what Jewish tradition says. It's at this time during the three months that, that the Ark of the Covenant is put aside here in the house of Obed-Edom that David takes this time out for three months during which time he writes Psalm 15. Because here's what happens. David is like shocked. He's shocked here. In fact, it says, it expresses his emotion. It says David was angry. Now, we don't know exactly to whom his anger was directed. Is he angry at, at Uzzah because you shouldn't have touched the Ark of the Covenant? Is he angry at God? Because he, he was upset that God struck him dead. It does say that he fears the Lord. So he's got all this emotion going. He fears the Lord. He's angry. He's confused. Why is he confused? Because what started out as this good thing, the good thing, we're going we're gonna to bring up the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. We're going to make the Ark of the Covenant central to worship. We're going to bring the presence of God in the city of Jerusalem. God, David is wondering, such a good thing. Why would you kill this guy? What has happened? And David steps back and puts it on pause for three months, puts the Ark of the Covenant in the home of Obed-Edom where he contemplates what in the world just happened. We're trying to do a good thing and God, you killed this guy. And he writes, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? I mean, God, because you are so holy and righteous, how in the world can we ever bring the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem? Somebody's bound to touch it. Somebody's bound to die. How can this work then? You are so holy. We are so unholy. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And so he pauses to ask this question because he wants to recapture. Listen to this. He wants to recapture a reverence for God. He recognizes that something irreverent happened. He doesn't understand the whole thing yet, but he recognizes something irreverent happened. And he wants to recapture a reverence for God. It's important that we hear that. God is a holy God. He is righteous and perfect in all his ways. We are an unholy people. And we must have reverence for a holy God. Now, I want us to really focus on Psalm 15 in answer to the first questions that David raises. But first, let me bring some closure to 2 Samuel 6 here in this story. Because what did go wrong? What can we learn from this? Here's what David understood. And this is the reason why he took a time out. And then he's going to go back. We won't read the rest of the story. He's going to go back. He's going to do it right. He's going to worship the Lord. And he's going to bring up the Ark of the Covenant in the right way. And all will go well. Because he reveres God. What went wrong here? Was that... They should never have transported the Ark of the Covenant on a cart drawn by oxen. You see here again in the picture of the Ark of the Covenant, God prescribed the way to transport the Ark of the Covenant in his instruction to Moses. We're going to put rings on the outside and we're going to pass poles through these rings because the way that you transport the Ark of the Covenant was for the priests... Four, one on each end, to hoist up the Ark of the Covenant with the poles on their shoulders. 
You see, because the Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God, they were in effect lifting up God. We're going to lift up the Lord. This is the way that they were supposed to transport it, by this picture. Hoisting it up, raising up, if you will, lifting God up on your shoulders. He's worthy of our worship. We're lifting him up. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know